Thank you, Stuart. And uh, it's always a privilege to um, speak to this group. I'm saying hello to the people in the room. It's great to see you face to face in this space. Um, are there people upstairs? Yes, no? Okay, so we're all here. And those who are online gathered, we welcome you as well into this community today. Well, if you knew the Lord was coming in a week, what would you do? <laughs> Think about it just for a minute. Any thoughts? Maybe you've thought about it before. Lord's coming in a week. What's the first thing you're going to do? Plant a tree. Plant a tree. <laughs> that says a lot about your view of creation and the eschaton. Great. Um, <laughs> anyone else? <laughs> okay, great. Others? Okay. Sarah Scott online says, stop dusting. Okay. <laughs> you can stop that now, Sarah. <laughs> Because, you know, nobody's on their deathbed saying, I wish I dusted more. Um, <laughs> and that can stop right now. Um, the reality is we live in very strange days. And, uh, and, and all of this takes its toll on us as we encountered in our retreat together last week. Now, I believe we've been in the last days since Jesus arrived on the scene. Uh, 2,000 years ago, there's the countdown. Um, and perhaps we grow weary in waiting. Um, we get distracted and disturbed, and the world was perhaps disorienting enough before a global pandemic hit, and, uh, and now we've been hidden away, locked up, trying to manifest Christian community, whatever that looks like, when we're all behind closed doors in a fragmented way, and we may have lost our manners even. It's possible. We may have forgotten what it is to live together in a community of believers in Christ, uh, and I would say no as participants in the body of Christ uh, who sends us to live together in this world. So in these days of uh, dystopia and displacement, so many public displays of Christian community are characterized by words of alarm and distress and despair. And Christians crucify each other online. We know this, forgetting that the job is already done. And in the passage of scripture that we're going to come to today, the Petrine community faces suffering and persecution, and while we do not, I don't believe at all in the same way that they did, at least not at this time and in this place, um, it was a context of a dystopian world. And they weren't called to get mad at the idiots on the internet. Instead, in a context of pressure and disorientation, they were called back to the heart of Christian community. And these last days, this is how you should live together and reminded of how to live together. We often interpret these passages of how to live together as how I should live myself, as if I were a monad. Uh, that's not how it is. And the end is coming, live like this, is how the passage we're coming to will more or less frame it. Uh, and perhaps this is a good time for us to be reminded of the same. So today I'd like to encourage us, encourage us as we begin a new term together, uh, some in person and some online, to focus on a passage of scripture that will begin to reteach us how to live in Christian community. Now, you know, last night I felt overwhelmed. I had a long day of meeting, lots of meetings. Uh, I had one-on-ones, meetings with the university presidents, executive and deans, an executive meeting of the board, and then a board meeting last night. And yet it wasn't all of that that led me to the feeling of being overwhelmed. What overwhelmed me was moving from those experiences to the words, of this text, 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 8 to 11. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and of sober mind so that you may pray. 
Above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do one as, who, as one who speaks the very oracles of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength that God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. This text overwhelmed me last night because I feel so profoundly privileged to serve in a community where these descriptions of what Christian community ought to look like are so often lived out and lived out well. Of course, they're not lived out every day, in every moment, by everyone, least of all me. But I am so grateful to serve with a staff, a faculty, a board, with alumni who genuinely care for one another, who care for you as students in this place, and they're making a difference in the world in hard times. And we invite you, all of you gathered here today, at the verge of a new semester to be part of this community. You are part of this community. And we remind ourselves of what community ought to look like, lest we forget. So we're to be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. I'm going back and forth between a couple of versions here. I hope that doesn't mess you up too much. <laughs> These are probably not the words you would use to describe university students. At least I'm hearing it. You know, we've got on campus right now two years of first years, right, away from home for the first time, and um, it has its interesting repercussions. <laughs> and this passage is not an exhortation to live life without laughter, without fun. That's not what this is about, but rather it's an acknowledgement that you need to be in the right frame of mind to have and to approach an effective prayer life. All can't be frivolous and silly. It's a reminder that above all else, we are disciples of Jesus Christ. That's who we are. And our lives focus on and revolve around him. In him, we live and move and have our being. He's our salvation. He's our life. This section of scripture begins and ends with that Christ-centered focus. The strength we seek is found in prayer, uniting our hearts with this in mindful intention. However, this is not an independent life. When we say he's our life, we don't come to the garden alone. We never come to the garden alone. <laughs> Surprise. Um, we are saying he is our life. And as we engage with prayer together, we encourage one another because we're praying for each other, because we belong together, and we need the right mindset to do this because all kinds of other things will get in the way. To act as though it's not really that important. But it's the heart of our life together. Prayer is the heart of our life together. It's an expression of fellowship with each other and Christ deeper than any other. As a faculty and staff, we meet on Mondays for community time. We spend a few moments together in prayer. We met daily for prayer through the pandemic when we were separated. And for many of us, that was our lifeline for community. That was our heart. We were connected with Christ in each other. And when we gather here on a Wednesday, this is our connection. We pray here, as Stuart said, bringing ourselves and the needs of this wider campus and the world to God in prayer as a lived daily desperate reality. We need him. What's your mindset for prayer this year? What simple single prayer initiative will you take part of on behalf of this community this year? 
Keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. Who do you love? What does that look like? This passage encourages us to love the one you're with. <laughs> Hang on. <laughs> in other words, and also from scripture, you can't love someone you haven't seen if you don't love the one who is sitting in front of you. In other words, you can't love God, whom you haven't seen, if you don't love the people he's put in, in the place around you. So look around. Go ahead, look around, look online, who's there. You see, these aren't only people you have to love for a little while. Some of us really like teaching because the community shifts every three years. You know, in church, you're kind of stuck together, right? And, 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 you, and you can wish people away, and you can pray people away, and, and you can pray for that glorious deliverance from that difficult deacon, whatever it is. But in a community like this, there's shift. Yay, you know, you know, that complicated person, you only have to deal with them for so long, unless they work here, in which case you've got Stuart. But, um, <laughs> <ooh>. <laughs> I'm trying. <laughs> anyway, these aren't people you love for just a little while, even though it might seem that way. Look around, because these are the people you're stuck with for eternity eternity folks so maybe we should do some prep work while we're here <laughs> you see human love loves itself did you ever hear the philosophical word solipsism you'll hear it from me if you haven't before this means that the self is the only thing that exists and we may not believe that but we can act like it which means that perhaps we believe it a little bit more than we're willing to admit those of us in the West, having been raised in a solipsistic culture that makes it exceptionally difficult for us to see the world in any way other than through a, a filter of our own self-interest. And the love that this passage is calling for is not just a friendly affirmation. Keep loving one another earnestly. Love one another deeply. And let's be honest, that's not only a challenge. Sometimes it's impossible. Remember that mustard seed, though? because nothing's impossible with God. Well, good for him, you might say. Let him love that one or another that I find it impossible to love. Um, you know, because God of the impossible, go ahead and love them. Keep loving one another earnestly. Love one another deeply. This isn't something we can pawn off, but it's also not something we can muster up simply by effort. We see later in the passage that all the things we do, we do because we are the body of Christ. We have a spiritual energy. We have his moral fiber, his very presence to make the impossible possible. So go for it because we're told this love will cover a multitude of sins. How does it do that? What kind of magic is this? Will I be forgiven sins because I love other people? That's not really what it's saying. I think it's saying that your sins will be covered over. That is not visible to others. How does that work? When you love someone earnestly, you tend not to freak out when they're having a bad day and visit it on you. Because you understand that people have had a bad day, or you don't know what kind of day they've had, so you assume the worst and do the best for them. And it blesses them with the grace that softens their actions and your own. What would it look like this year for us to love one another earnestly in this community? Is there an attitude that you need to change or an action you need to take to express that at ADC this year. Show hospitality to one another and without grumbling. <laughs> it just gets worse and worse, right? <laughs> it's always conditions. Okay, I can do hospitality, but what, no grumbling? 
Um, hospitality was difficult in the pandemic, at least we thought it was, but there's so many ways to show a welcome to people, even if you can't always have them over for a meal. We think hospitality is having people over for a meal. There's all kinds of hospitality. You can invite a shy person out for a coffee. You can share a foosball match with the one you don't even think you like. Most of all, we need to make sure that our spaces are open to all, not exclusive, just to those who are exactly like ourselves. And this is interesting because community by nature usually means you share something in common, right? And so we do here. We're Christians called to some sort of service. You're called here to be equipped for that. Others who are part of that community support that call. They participate in it. They share this mission that makes us alike. And therefore, we're different from others who don't share that mission. Problems arise, though, when we draw such a hard line around the community that nobody else can get in. And when we start, then those exclusions can keep people from experiencing what life in Christ might look like. Those exclusions can harden and become self-replicating within the community, too, where we only hang with the people who look like us, think like us, smell like us. We only have classrooms filled with more of us. And I can't help but think of, the, of Agent Smith in the Matrix film, the one scene where he repeatedly replicates himself over and over and over again, saying, me, 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 turning up en masse. Bonhoeffer reminds us that the genius of Christian community is that you are, by Christ's work, brought into being one person with people you would never choose to hang with. Human love wants to seek out the same and find the crowd, the in crowd. And this can lead to the exclusion of those who are different from us and those you simply don't like. And this results in the marginalization of the weak and seemingly useless people, which Bonhoeffer reminds us actually means excluding Christ himself. You don't have to be a chef to show hospitality. You just have to be inclusive and concerned for the well-being of, the, of others in tangible ways. And do this without grumbling. This is the after the meal uh, discussion or the meeting debrief behind the closed door or in the parking lot. Did you see how much they ate? Did you see the way they held their fork, set their table? I thought they would never leave. I had to feed them all the bacon and now I don't have any. Grumbling is a sign of holding back. It's a sign of holding back the bacon. <laughs> An indication that the hospitality was somehow less than genuine. This year, let's see if we can talk less about people behind their backs, accept them more just as they are, because like us, they're on a journey too. And if you've received a gift, use it to serve one another. You have received a gift. Yes, you have received a gift. You wrestle, what's my gift? Just tell me, Lord, how do I serve someone with my gift? And Jesus sometimes says, well, don't be so abstract. Remember that extra payment you got last week that you didn't expect? Yeah, that, that's your gift. Now serve someone with it. Sometimes it's easy to recognize and sometimes we're slow to see. But if I could encourage you on your uh, journey of leadership, can I tell you right now, you have a gift. But you don't have all the gifts. I have all the gifts. <laughs> You're not even laughing. <laughs> of course I don't have all the gifts. <laughs> and the reason I know you don't either is because nobody does. That's the whole point. A community needs to be a team, and a team needs teamwork. And that brings me back to the beginning. Remember when I said I felt overwhelmed by the way the members of the ABC team served together? On the board, we have a wide range of gifts. 
We were saying goodbye to four people who between them have probably well over 30 years of service to our board. Imagine that, very gifted people. And they came to serve all of those years, all of those months freely because they believe in our mission. So there we have a wide range of gifts. And we recognize we need this to be our best. Now our current board chair, Brian MacArthur, is leading some work updating the bylaws and our governance manual. And you know what? I hate working on bylaws. <laughs> I can do it because I have to, but I wouldn't initiate it. And wow, it's so much better having somebody who can really do it, who's really good at it, who even likes it, working on it. I don't need to stick my nose in and control all of that or resent my board chair because he's so good at it. Rather, I want to harness that gift and use it for the good of the whole. People in leadership can often feel threatened and it leads them to keep others from serving and using their gifts. That's an insecure leader. If you are secure in the gift that God has given you, then the best thing a confident leader can do is surround herself with people who have a broad range of gifts and even seek out people with those gifts that you don't have to open up the ways to let them serve. See, leadership isn't doing it all. It's helping all to do what God has given them to do. So whatever your gift is, please don't despise it either. In community, you can be given to a constant comparison, even in prayer. And the potential for this is huge in a social media context where we compare and we contrast who's got the best gifts. And we can long to have someone else's gifts rather than live into our own. We're not immune to that here at ADC as we're preparing for ministry leadership or continuing in ministry leadership. Oh, my gift isn't as good as his. My preaching isn't as good as theirs. My service is less. We desire someone else's gift, someone else's service. Bonhoeffer again. Then we deplore the fact that we lack the deep certainty, the strong faith, and the rich experience that God has given to others. And we consider this lament to be pious. You know, if only I could be more like. Please help me to try more like so-and-so. We pray for the big things, he says, and forget to give thanks for the ordinary, small, and yet really not small gifts. How can God entrust great things to one who will not thankfully receive from him the little things? And I can confess this has been uh, one of the biggest um, important things I discovered reading in my whole life. It's one of my favorite quotes of ever because how can God give us anything else if we despise the thing he's already given us? How can we? And yes, a lot of the time, people need to be encouraged to use their gifts, sometimes begged. <laughs> That's for another day. How will you bring your gifts to serve the ADC community this year? What is it, and what will you do with it? Whoever speaks as one who speaks the oracles of God. And that felt heavy when I read that passage. I thought, who would ever dare to open their mouth? Um, but here we are. We speak to one another all the time and we can be careless. We may even speak publicly or preach all the time and become careless with the regularity of it. But here, whoever speaks should speak with the one as the one who speaks the words of God. It's a recognition of the power of words. In Christian community, we can use words that cut deeply. It reminds us, like James, of the terrible power of the tongue. The tongue can kill and destroy. But here we're encouraged to think of ourselves as, as speaking God's prophecy to one another. Speaking forth good words that build each other up. When we're tired or frustrated, it's easy to let the tongue go. 
and oh so hard to drag it back in. Uh, it was, uh, you'll be amused to know that um, during one of our, the executive meeting of the board yesterday afternoon, I had to step out um, because there's a time when they talk about me and I have to leave the room. And um, I, I stepped out and I turned everything off, but I left my own mic on. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I stepped out of the room. Thankfully, we, we played it back, didn't we, Evelyn? I said, do I have enough time for a cup of tea? Um, and then, and then I think something about why are they trying to call me? <laughs> and, and I thought later how dangerous a space like that can be and how grateful I was that I didn't come out and say, well, that was a load of rubbish or what a bunch of, you know, and I wouldn't because I love them dearly and they're doing great work. But, you know, it just reminded me again of how careful we need to be with our speech. And since we are filled with God's spirit as, as people of God, this is, I'm preaching myself here as much as anyone else, just so long as you know that. Since we are filled with God's spirit as the people of God, we can expect that God wants to speak to one another through us. What an amazing opportunity. When you see something in someone, encourage them. You see some life in someone, just give them that nudge of blessing. Can we work together? on being so surrendered to him in this community that we'll speak God's word of life and promise and love to one another. And whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supp supplies, we get worn and worry when we imagine we have to do all of this by ourselves. And I know you've heard it before, but I believe in the helper Holy Spirit. I believe in the empowering uh, presence, abiding presence of the Holy Spirit of God. Who could ever do any of this alone in these days, in these times? But the Holy Spirit is willing and able, able to give and be all that we need to be a life-affirming, culture-forming, Christ-like community in strange times. So when you're feeling overwhelmed this year, stretched and strained, and the world still seems such a mess, remember, you can keep going. You can keep going because God will supply the strength. You know he's done it before. He will do it again. And let's be ready to speak these words to each other when we need that encouragement, because thankfully we don't always seem to experience it on the same day. <laughs> so here we are, the edge of a new term, part of this community. This community isn't an ideal floating around in the space somewhere. It's real. It's tangible. Here we are. Bonhoeffer once more, love his life together. Go read it. Uh, Christian community is not an ideal which we must realize. It's not, you know, here God's given us an idea, now let's try and work it out. <laughs> it's rather a reality created by God in Christ in which we may participate. There's the invitation. I think that Tolstoy gives us a glimpse of this in his story of the three questions. A king wanted to know, what's the right time to begin something? He wanted to lead well, so these were his questions. What's the right time to begin something? Who are the right people to listen to and avoid? And what's the most important thing to do? And these were his questions because he didn't want to fail at anything as a leader. So he goes to find a wise hermit and he poses his questions. He ends up digging beds for planting for the old man and then saving the life of someone who had previously been his enemy. And in the aftermath, he's disappointed that his questions still seem to be unanswered. The hermit challenges him. You learned the answer to all your questions, he said, recounting to the king how he helped both him and the man who had been hurt. Tolstoy then, remember then, there is only one time that is important, and that is now. It is the most important time because it's the only time we can actually do anything. The most necessary person is the one you're with. 
for none of us knows whether we will ever have dealings with anyone else. And the most important thing to do is to do good to others because for that purpose alone we were sent into this life. Oftentimes we like to hide behind our lofty ideas in the church and Christian fellowship and what the community ought to look like. And this can be self-serving, allowing us to hide behind our thoughts and ideals, imagining heaven rather than actually face another person directly and say, how can I help you here and now, today? This is the message of 1 Peter 4, 8 to 11. These exhortations for how Christians should behave in community are not ideas or ideals, but meant to be lived. They could be the most important things we ever do in our Christian lives. Not occupying a platform or writing the best book or becoming an influencer. Those who would be great must be the servants of all. So we will learn to love one another. That's what we're here for. We'll be hospitable. We'll use our gifts to serve those around us. We will speak life to each other. Because the fact is, like it or not, Christ has made us one. So these are the most important things we can do. The community where we are placed is the place to do it, not dream of another place where it will be easier to love people. And now is the time to do them, not in heaven or some future time when maybe we're ready. If we could learn to do these things this year at ADC or even in our churches or wherever you're living and serving, I think we'd change the world in these last days for his glory. Amen.